It's great to be with you and worshiping together tonight. We're starting a new series called Grace and Truth. Me and Amy, we got to work on that intro because you told him it's going to be really good. But next time you got to under promise so I can over deliver. <laughs> I'm going to start out by reading from John chapter one. And uh, this is a really special passage for me. Um, when I was in Iraq and at one point I was far from God and really struggling just in life and broken hearted. I picked up a Bible and I started reading in John chapter one. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I experienced just the love of God in a new way like I never had before. And so I'm really grateful for the word of God and this passage. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another translation says, full of unfailing love and faithfulness. In verse 16, it says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So today I want to talk about Jesus who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this week is kind of an introductory week for this series. I'm going to lay some groundwork, some foundation. And then in the following weeks, we'll get into some more depth of some individual issues. But today I want to talk about grace and truth and who Jesus is. There are two options, really, that everybody has in the world today. There is the option of Jesus, who is full of grace and truth, or you can go with what the world has to offer, which is anti-grace and anti-truth. Instead of grace, the world offers anti-grace, which is outrage culture and cancel culture. And instead of truth, the world offers moral relativism. And some of you are familiar with that phrase. Maybe you're not. You're like, well, I think I am, but just tell me what it is in case. Here's what it is. Moral relativism, I'm going to summarize it. It's this. There is no absolute moral truth distinguishing right from wrong. So I hope you're already seeing the irony of this, right? There's absolutely no absolute truth. Everyone ought to follow their own moral code. Nobody's moral code is better than anybody else's. And then everyone ought to tolerate the moral code of others, Now, because you're discerning and you've read the Bible and your eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit, your ears have been opened, you can identify all the problems with this. Yet this philosophy and way of thinking permeates secular universities and schools and the way that society thinks in general. But we realize that there's a lot of problems with this. When I was going to college, you know, I heard about Frederick Nietzsche and he said this, you have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, it does not exist. And here's what me and Jesus think about that. (laughs) It's an attractive idea until you're the one that gets hurt. This idea like, well, you should be able to live by your own code and do whatever feels right for you. It's like, okay, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to do whatever feels good for me. But when someone else decides that what feels good for them is to hurt me or take my stuff, then it's like, well, wait a second, that's wrong. So we obviously, we're never really okay with this idea of moral relativism in truth. It's nice in theory, but it's just not reality. Many of you have heard someone say, speak your truth, especially recently. 
or what's right for you isn't right for me, or who are you to tell me how I should live my life, or to each his own. All these ideas stem from the idea of moral relativism and anti-truth, and if you dare in this world to tell someone else that they're wrong, you get anti-grace, which is outrage and the threat of being canceled. Now, you can all have your own unique experiences. We all have our own unique life experiences, but that doesn't mean you have your own truth. You have individualized experiences, but not your own truth. There's only one truth. And I'm concerned that Nietzsche's way of thinking, moral relativism, has crept into churches and infected the minds of a lot of Christians even in ways that we're totally not always aware of. I fear that many Christians misunderstand God's grace and they fear sharing the truth. They, they oftentimes think of grace as permissiveness and truth as personalized and private. Jesus says we're to be in the world but not of the world. And what that means is although we do live in the world, our thoughts and our actions are not to be guided by the world. So we're not guided by the world when it comes to choosing our actions and deciding how to think. We're guided by the word, the word of God. His word is true. Amen. Jesus renews our minds, changes the way we think through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it opens our eyes to see and our ears to hear, and it allows us to identify falsehood from truth. Ephesians 4, 14 says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's full of grace and full of truth. So let me talk about this. When you see the phrase, speak the truth in love, I think when a lot of people hear that, they think of saying what's true in a loving way. And that's not necessarily what we're getting at here. Really what this means is that it's loving to tell the truth. And sometimes the most loving thing to do is tell the truth in a direct and clear way. Other times the loving thing to do is tell the truth, but in a very gentle and kind and compassionate way. And how do you know which way you should tell the truth? Gentle, kind, or direct and clear? It kind of depends on what's at stake, right? Like if someone that you love um, comes home and let's say she has a new haircut and it's not really attractive um, and she says, well, what do you think of my hair? You might want to tell the truth, but in a very gentle and kind and measured way. Like, oh, your hair? I've always loved your hair, right? I love you with or without hair. But if someone's about to drive off the edge of a cliff, in that scenario, you want to tell the truth in a very direct, blunt, clear way. Like, stop, you're going the wrong way. If you keep going down this path, you're going to die. Now, some people, they say things like, I tell it like it is, or I call it like I see it. And really what they often do is use the truth as a weapon. And I want you to understand, church, that the truth is not a weapon. The truth is freedom. 
That's really what the truth is. It's freedom. In John 8, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what the truth does for us. It sets us free. So we don't use the truth to beat other people up, but the truth sets us free. Now notice what Jesus said. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say your truth will set you free. He said the truth will set you free. So here's where we've got to see the differences. The world says truth is relative and personalized based on your ethnicity and the culture you came from and the way you grew up. Jesus says there is a truth. So either Jesus is wrong, intolerant, a bigoted liar, or he's the only way to freedom. All the lies of Satan keep us trapped in sin. And the truth that Jesus speaks opens our eyes to realize that we're living in a prison cell. Sin tries to deceive us and tries to trick us into believing that sin is better than God's ways. That's really what all temptation boils down to. The devil is trying to convince you that it's better to sin than to follow God's ways. That's really all temptation in a nutshell. The lies of the world basically boil down, you hear it often, if it feels good, do it. Be yourself. Follow your heart. You were born that way. You only live once, so do what makes you happy. But when you really read the words of Jesus, you see how different his words are than what the world says. Jesus says, pick up your cross and die to yourself so that you can be born again and do what makes God happy. You see how different that is? In John 1, 16, it said, out of his fullness, we all received grace in place of grace already given. So what was the grace that was already given? The next verse shows us, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the law that was given through Moses, you could think of it as the Old Testament, it was actually part of God's grace because the law established God's standard of truth and holiness And it helps us to realize that we're sinners and we need a savior. In Romans 7, the apostle Paul talks about it and says says this. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. And I like to point this out because a lot of Christians, I think, have a negative attitude towards the Old Testament and the law sometimes. Like it was the abusive part of the Bible where God was really mean and judgy and looking to smite people. But actually, the law was part of God's grace. It shows us that we're sinners. That's truth. And we need to know that so that we can call out on a savior to save us. Now, if you ask most people, they will tell you that they believe they're basically a good person. There are not many people that you'll meet in the world who will say, no, I'm not a good person. Right, you go around, you survey people. You, look, you can look it up yourself after church. Go research, right? like surveys, right? look it up. Most people will say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> like, well, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I do more good than bad. So I would say overall, I'm a good person. <laughs> now, I hope that you guys, being that you are Christians and you know God's word, would never say that. 
Because it says this in Romans chapter three. No one is righteous. No, not one. It says no one does good. So anyone who's read the Bible knows I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner, but I have been saved by a very good God. And through the perfection of Jesus Christ and my faith in him, although I was not good, he has made me righteous by the amazing grace of God. But we have a a, a different type of perspective. When God's word shows us that, yeah, we're not good, we're, we're sinners and we're living wrong, that's actually not mean, that's loving. It's loving. Like imagine your house is on fire. I hope that never happens to you. But imagine your house is on fire. When God's law shows us that we're sinners in need of a savior, that's not mean, that's loving, right? Like if you were asleep in your house and it caught on fire and your neighbor came over and started banging on the door and said, wake up, your house is on fire. You wouldn't call that mean and unloving, but that's what the world does. They say, who are you to tell me that my house is on fire? What's dangerous for you might not be dangerous for me. And we're here going like, wake up, you're going to die. And they say, don't try to impose your standards on me. But we're here saying, you know, we're not trying to judge you as Christians. We're not trying to enforce our standards on you. We're trying to show you the danger of violating God's standards without a savior. The truth is, whether you like it or not, sin is destructive and dangerous But once you realize that you're trapped in sin and in danger, you can call out on a savior to save you. And so when you realize that the truth sets you free, you understand why the apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 7 verse 22, I love God's law with all my heart. I love this passage. I love God's law with all my heart. Who says that? I mean, that's But then he goes on to say, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I like this passage. The law was given by God's grace to show us the truth And yet it was just a blueprint foreshadowing Jesus who would come. Jesus is the living, breathing embodiment of the law, full of grace and full of truth. Paul here expresses something that I think we can all relate to. All of us, at times, we struggle with temptation between sin and righteousness. And I think you could probably relate to this. Any of you ever feel tempted to sin? Anybody? Besides the pastor? Okay, thank you for not leaving me hanging. Some of you are like, we can admit that in church? Yes. (laughs) Well, here's what Paul's saying, man. Like, I love God, but sometimes there's like this war going on inside me, and I want to do things even though I know it's not right. Yeah, welcome to humanity. What am I supposed to do? That's why he says, like, I'm miserable sometimes. I feel like I'm trapped in this place of I want to do what's right, but sometimes I do what's wrong. What am I supposed to do? The answer, thank God, is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus who comes with truth 
says you're not perfect, you're a sinner, and you can't meet God's standard. But he also comes with grace and says, I met the standard for you so you could live in freedom in God's favor. Grace, I want you to understand what it's not. Grace is not acceptance of sin. The world says they want tolerance. Tolerance is the idea that you live and you let live. It's not really a bad thing. But that's not actually what the world wants. The world does not want tolerance. They want acceptance and approval of sin. They want Christians to not just tolerate them. We do that. They want us to affirm and accept sin and call it good. But we can't do that because as Christians, we're subject to God's authority. And he says that sin is not good. It leads to death. James 1.15, when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so here's what the world says to us as Christians. The world says, you Christians need to accept me. And we say, we do accept you and God accepts you. The world says, if you accepted me, you would affirm my sin. And we say, no, we can't because God does not accept your sin. But the world says, well, if you loved me, you would approve of my sin. And we say, well, we can't approve of your sin because we love you. And the world says, but I love my sin. And we're here saying, but sin leads to death. That's why we can't approve of and affirm your sin. Even though we love you, we don't love your sin because God doesn't love your sin because he loves you and he doesn't want you to fall into destruction. So God does not offer tolerance of sin, but he is very tolerant of sinners who repent of their sin and turn to Jesus by God's grace. So here's what grace is. Grace is unfailing love and unmerited favor. It's unfailing love and favor you didn't earn. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. In Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. And in Acts 20, it says, and now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart to himself. So what you saw in those verses was that God's grace, it saves us, it receives us, and it helps us to live for Jesus. That God's grace gives us a better life in place of the life that we gave up to follow Jesus. And that God's grace gives us a new inheritance in place of the old inheritance we used to have. Some of you, you're like, I had an inheritance? You didn't know you had an inheritance. You're like, I never got anything from anyone. But you had an inheritance before Jesus. You had an inheritance of sin, sickness, death, and deception. But through Jesus, you have received a new inheritance. There has been a trade, an exchange that took place. Now you have an inheritance of forgiveness, freedom, favor, and eternal life. How's that for a, a trade? So the tolerance that the world offers is just a terrible substitute for the amazing grace that God offers. By God's grace, we have gone from rebels to royalty. Though we were slaves and sinners, Jesus had made us sons and daughters 
of God. One author said it this way, grace is love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with you, the beloved. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. Grace is one-way love. As a Christian, I want to show people grace, and I want to speak the truth. Amen? Amen. The thing is, it's hard to do that perfectly as a human being. It's easy to lean too far into the truth and just hammer people, or sometimes to lean too far into grace And next thing you know, you're just letting people get away with murder. Anybody relate to that? I want to help you understand this a little bit more. Depending on your personality type and your spiritual gifting, you're going to find that you naturally lean one way or the other easier at times, right? Some of you, like maybe you're you're like an Enneagram 8 or you have prophetic gifting and you just love justice. Like, that's me. Like, I just love justice. Like, whenever bad guys get caught and punished, I'm just like, yes, justice is served. I got a problem. If you're like me, man, you probably love the truth, and you just want to tell everyone the truth. And if you're not careful, life can turn into whack-a-mole where every lie becomes a nail, and you're the hammer just going to set the record straight. The problem is if you're not careful, you can end up hammering people who God loves. Others of you, maybe you're more naturally inclined to show grace. If you're more of a mercy person, a pastoral gifting, you're caring in your nature, maybe you just love grace. You're the person, you see broken people, your heart just goes out to them. You just naturally feel compassion for anyone who is hurting, regardless of why they're even in that situation. You just want to give them the shirt off your back. You probably get teary-eyed during animal rescue commercials. You know what I'm saying? You just love everyone. (laughs) But if you're not careful, you can let people take advantage of you. And the other thing that happens, if you're not careful, is when it comes time to speak the truth, you'll stay silent trying to preserve the relationship. And in your effort to preserve the relationship, you'll actually hurt the person you love by withholding the truth that they really needed. And here's what happens in churches. In churches, there's all, in, in, among, among all Christians, really, I see that there's oftentimes frustration and fighting Because people who are naturally inclined towards grace and people who are naturally inclined towards truth tend to just get really frustrated with each other and irritated with each other. And the people that are naturally inclined towards grace, they look at the other people who are inclined towards truth and they think, y'all are really mean and harsh and you're not loving. And the people who are inclined towards truth are all, you all are wishy-washy and soft and weak and you stand for nothing. And they get irritated at each other. Like, what's wrong with you? You need to stand up for what's right. No, you need to love people like Jesus. Really, we need grace and truth. And you got to understand, these are not mutually exclusive forces like the yin and the yang of Eastern religion. You cannot separate them from each other. They go together. It's the truth that leads you to God's grace. And God's grace allows you to understand the truth which sets you free. Jesus as the perfect embodiment of the law who brings grace and truth, 100%, 100% truth and 100% grace at the same time. 
He's a perfect example for us. Now, we're not Jesus, so we have a hard time handling every situation perfectly. But when you read about Jesus in God's word and you learn more about him, you understand there are sometimes some guidelines I think that we can take away that help us know when to apply more tough truth or more tender grace. And what I want you to see about Jesus is that he is both tough and tender. Perhaps there's no greater example of this than in John chapter 8. In one chapter, you see that Jesus is both tough and tender. And what's funny is, depending on how you're inclined, you'll probably naturally find yourself gravitating towards the passages where Jesus acts the way that you would act. (laughs) But we got to see that Jesus, he handles every situation and every type of person perfectly. Here's one situation where he's tough. He's talking to a crowd of people and Pharisees in John 8, 37. And he says, yes, I realize that you are the descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's some interesting stuff here. First off, I want you to see this, that like Jesus, when you tell people the truth, even though it's coming from a place of love, don't be surprised when they don't thank you for it, but rather maybe even attack you for it. They they tried to kill Jesus because he was telling them the truth out of love. So when that happens to you, just remind yourself, I'm not alone, I'm not the first one. If they treated Jesus this way, of course they're gonna treat me this way. And one of the things I wanna encourage you in is, as Christians, what I think has happened is we live in a world that's so anti-God and anti-truth that a lot of us have become quiet and silenced out of self-preservation. And we think, you know, it's just too risky to tell people the truth in this world. I've gotta keep quiet. And that might keep you safe, but it'll also keep you from making an eternal impact. And so I want the Holy Spirit to lead you and give you wisdom as to when you should say certain things and when you should keep quiet. But don't keep quiet because you're afraid. And I also wanna ask you, just I'm gonna ask humbly for your help and your support. As a pastor, and I would say for pastors in general, churches need to have their pastors' backs. There's a lot of pastors out there today. I think they feel like they're alone on an island and that's the reason they're not more bold in speaking the truth because there's people in their church that are like, well, we can't tell people what's up, but pastor, you tell them what's up. Then the pastor gets crucified. The only problem is I ain't coming back from the dead like Jesus did. So a lot of pastors are like, well, I just better stay quiet. And next thing you know, you got churches that aren't even teaching the truth anymore. 
So yes, we should love people, but we also need to stand up boldly for the truth. You know, there's been times when I've, I've told people the truth and they got really offended. And they said, Jesus would never talk to me like that. And I'm like, have you read the Bible? Because <laughs> actually, <laughs> I've never told anyone they were a child of the devil. I've thought it, but I've never said it. <laughs> what you see in scripture is that when people are self-righteous, pointing out the speck in other people's eyes when they don't examine the log in their own eyes, when people get puffed up with pride, when we start to think that our own good works cause us to deserve God's favor, when you rebel against God's authority, what you see with Jesus is that he's gonna give you the tough truth. Jesus gives the tough truth to the hard-hearted. But what I want you to understand is that even in those situations when people are hard-hearted and rebellious and self-righteous, the, the tough truth is still not a weapon. It's not meant to destroy them. The tough truth is meant to break through their hard heart so they can find mercy and repentance. It's still meant to lead them to freedom. And then other times we see that Jesus is very tender. He's oftentimes tender. In John 8, Verse three, it says, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? This passage goes on to tell us they were trying to trap him. It's a trap, Jesus. But you can't trap Jesus. He's too smart for that. See, they were trying to trap him. Like what they were trying to do, I think, is if Jesus said, okay, go ahead and stone her, the Pharisees figured that that would cause him to lose popular support among the people. On the other hand, if he said, no, let her go, then he would be breaking and defying the law of Moses. So they, they really were trying to put him between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to trap him. And Jesus can't trap Jesus. John chapter eight, he says, all right, but let the one who has never sinned Throw the first stone. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> and then he bends down in the dirt and he starts writing. And nobody knows for sure what he was writing. I've heard pastors say maybe he was writing the Pharisee's sins in the dirt. Or I don't know, maybe he was writing references to Old Testament scriptures talking about how God is merciful to people who are guilty. And he's quick to forget the iniquities of his chosen people. I don't know, but it says one by one from oldest to youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And then it goes on, it says this in verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So here's what Jesus is telling her. I didn't come to throw stones at you or condemn you. But at the same time, he tells this woman, go and sin no more. And I want you to understand that he did not tolerate her sin. He didn't say, who am I to tell you how to live? He said, stop sinning. He didn't say, do what feels right for you. He said, stop sinning. He didn't say, guys, she was born this way. 
He said, stop sinning. He showed grace and truth at the same time. This woman experienced the grace that only God can give. Understand who Jesus is, John 3. It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And in John 12, 47, Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge and condemn the world, that is, to initiate the final judgment of the world, but to save the world. That's the Amplified translation, but it helps us to understand what's being communicated here, that when Jesus came to this earth the first time, he did not come to punish and condemn and judge sinners. He spoke the truth to lead sinners to freedom by God's grace. He came to save the world, and we're still living in that era where Jesus did not come to judge and condemn and punish sinners. That's why as Christians, it's not our job to judge and condemn and punish sin. It's our job to clearly communicate the truth about sin so that sinners can find freedom in God's grace. You see that? So with this woman caught in adultery, here's what happened. He said, I'm not here to punish you for sexual immorality. I'm here to save you from sexual immorality. But there will come a day when all sinners will face final judgment and condemnation from Jesus himself. Jesus will judge. And all who are still in sin will be cast into eternal punishment in hell. But those who accept Jesus will be saved by God's grace. While those who rejected Jesus in this life will be sentenced by God's judgment and justice. God has showed us unfailing love and kindness by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our punishment so we could be saved and we don't have to face the punishment and the the justice for our own sin. Jesus died on the cross to take our place. And what I've found in my life is the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you start to understand and appreciate his kindness. And this kindness starts to draw us away from sin. I have found that God's kindness draws us away from sin even more powerfully than our fear of God's punishment scares us away from sin. It actually says in Romans 2, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. What I fear has happened is growing up as a church kid, going back now over 30 years, and a lot of you can relate to this. When I was growing up in church, I experienced a lot of judgy Christians, a lot of harsh Christians who were more concerned with rules than relationship. I came across a lot of Christians who were very quick to condemn others, even people in their own church. And you'd go to church and Amongst God's people, you were constantly getting judged and put down and belittled if you weren't living up to all these standards and following all these rules perfectly and you just felt like you were never good enough. And so what happened is that over these last couple decades, the message has rightly, I think, shifted back to reminding God's people about the grace of God, the love of God, and the mercy of God. But now here's what I think has happened is that The pendulum has almost swung too far in the other direction, and especially young people have been affected by the moral relativism of the world, 
and they're so quick to give everyone grace for everything that they end up overlooking everything and failing to share truth with the people who need it most. And we've got to realize that people need grace and truth, not just one or the other. They need grace and truth. So my word of caution to everyone is this. Speaking the truth is not an excuse to neglect kindness. But on the other hand, you cannot be kind without the truth. Clarity is kindness. We need the truth and we need grace. Jesus ate with sinners, but he did not ever condone their sin. So I want to say this to the person who might be with us tonight struggling with sin. That's probably most of us on some scale, but maybe you're struggling with sin of pride, lust, substance abuse, jealousy, hate, greed, sexual immorality. Jesus says, I didn't come to punish you from, for those sins. I came to save you from those sins. Here's the truth. The truth is you're a far greater sinner than you think you are, but God's grace is far greater than you think it is. God's grace doesn't just let you go, it brings you in. God's grace doesn't just spare your life, he gives you a new, better life. He doesn't just take away your sin, but he replaces it with his righteousness and he swaps out our curse for his blessing. You see how different he is than what the world offers? Jesus doesn't cancel people, he cancels sin and shame. At the same time, Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. He speaks the truth to show people the way to be saved. And he calls us to repentance and holiness. So church, if you've got any truth other than Jesus, all you've got is a lie. But if you've got Jesus, you also get God's grace and his tender mercy and kindness. At some point, I think we all need tough truth. We all need someone to show us, hey, you're wrong or you're in sin or you need to repent. And at the same time, I think all the time we all need God's grace. We need the reminder of God's constant, unfailing love for us that is not based on what you do. It's based on God and his love for you. And his love is unfailing. I'll close with this verse. We read it. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's bow our heads. If you're here and you say, I need to receive the grace of God today. I hear the truth that says I have sinned and I've fallen short of God's standard and I wanna be saved so that I don't have to face the punishment for my sins. The Bible tells us how to be saved. If we call on the name of the Lord, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so maybe someone needs to do that tonight. People have been making this decision all day today. There could be someone here tonight. This is your moment to be saved. If that's you, just pray this with me. Just say, God, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive my sins. I have sinned, but I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. And I believe he rose again so that I could have eternal life. I accept salvation by placing my faith in Jesus tonight. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the truth. I wanna follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name, I pray, amen.